This is the gospel reading from the book of John. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Vicki. We have such great readers here. So soothing. That's why I don't read the passage beforehand. I have so many people that can do it so much better. So if you think you might be in that camp, please uh, let us know. We'll uh, give you a microphone. Um, thank you for being here on Labor Day, if for no other reason than to uh, keep me from spiraling into despair when me and the staff are the only ones that show up on a Sunday morning. So I'm glad that you're here, and we hope that this is an encouraging and engaging uh, time for you. We are spending two more weeks in this current series, basically stories by and about Jesus. And next week, we're actually going to go back to the one we looked at last week about the seeds and the soil and the sower, because I think that it's very relevant to some of what we need to talk about in the congregational meeting. Um, it'll set us up well. And then the following week, we're going to be doing a new sermon series for the fall called uh, Punk God. And those are two words that don't normally go together. They seem a little bit incongruous. So uh, if you're wondering how they can be put together, if you're wondering how God might have some punk aspects to uh, his identity and to what he's about in the world, well, you'll have to come back. And if you disagree, you can let me know. But we're going to look at some very famous, uh, at least famous to a small subset of 
Society, very famous punk rock lyrics, and then kind of pair them up to some themes in Scripture. So very different than what we normally do. Um, I needed a little bit of uh, a new challenge, and I hope that this will land well with you guys. We're looking this morning at the Good Shepherd, and it's interesting to me, some of the most famous art in the Western world are these medieval medieval uh, portrayals, depictions of biblical scenes, especially of Mary and Jesus. And these paintings are beautiful, but they're also a little bit funny in an absurdist sort of way, because you see, for instance, Mary and Jesus and uh, Joseph in a stable, and you see the shepherds nearby, and every last one of them looks like a European from the 1500s. Joseph always has on like a silk shirt and, you know, puffy sleeves and tights. A little bit strange to see this ancient Near Eastern uh, carpenter dressed up like a a Middle Ages European. And there's nothing particularly sacrilegious about that, but you lose something about the original context when you're imagining them in what was then the painter's current context. They imagined them. But there's something beautiful as well because they're trying to bring that story into the modern day. And this represents an ongoing challenge that we have when we read a story like this with shepherds and sheep and sheep pens because we have no cultural knowledge of those things for the most part, but also about the Bible because the cultural distance is so long and so wide. Who here has ever interacted with a shepherd uh, at all? Whoever's even seen a shepherd? Maybe a few of you, if you've been to the Middle East or Italy or wherever they do shepherding these days. And uh, what about sheep? We see sheep maybe driving in central Oregon, but we don't know what sheep are all about when they're just sheeping around. We know they're good for wool and milk, I guess. But they were everywhere in Jesus' setting. And Jesus tended to pick metaphors and imagery that was very common to his hearers, but it's hard for us to jump back into that frame of reference. We know next to nothing about sheep. And so, therefore, every pastor can come up here and say that sheep are dumb. And Jesus is making the comparison between us and sheep, saying that we're kind of dumb. And that would be a a little bit off-putting, wouldn't it? But that's not the point, because sheep actually are not dumb. Now, Sean the sheep might be a little bit of a stretch in terms of their intelligence, but they're not dumb. They're domesticated. They recognize faces. They have a good memory. Uh, They even mate and live together. Well, all animals mate, but they they match up and they live together. The point is not that they're dumb. The point that Jesus is making is that they are vulnerable. And Jesus, you see, isn't trying to insult our intelligence, but he's pointing out that sheep are not predators, but sheep are prey. And they need constant protection, most species at least. And then the analogy makes a little bit more sense, and we can readily own this comparison because although we like to think about ourselves as predators, and in many ways we kind of are, even in relationships and at work, we can predate, but we can also see that we are prey as well 
in many of the ways that Richard mentioned in his prayer. Because think about our own happiness, our health, our well-being, how tenuous these things are, how vulnerable they are to death, to age, to traumatic events. Our lives are extraordinarily fragile. But beyond the sort of big, ugly events, even just everyday life, the mundane things that we have to go through can get the best of us. And often we lack that stability to respond to life's little difficulties with calm. And sometimes very small relational slight can turn into just trench warfare. The sort of things that we go through every day relationally can often just expand into this chaos that overwhelms our daily life. Maybe we go in for our annual review, and it's very negative, unexpectedly perhaps, and we just snowball into this place of self-loathing for the next two or three weeks. We carefully polish our public images, social media, and our dress and what we buy, but we recognize this incongruity in our lives, and it drives us crazy. It maybe drives us clinically a little bit crazy. Because we're afraid that we're going to be found out. We're afraid that this public persona is not going to hold up to scrutiny. And Jesus invites us constantly with these metaphors and stories to look under the hood of our lives and of our own psychology, to look behind our posturing, to look behind our ego, and to recognize, to be forthright about the fact that we are vulnerable to big life trauma, but also to everyday difficulty. And he's making a really big invitation constantly in his stories, one way or another, to acknowledge the one thing that we hate to acknowledge, and that is that we can't do this on our own. That is that we are needy, that we are vulnerable. The one admission that all of us hate to make And yet, at the same time, it is 100% essential to a spirituality that corresponds with reality and puts us in touch with God Himself. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And He doesn't just mean the physical poor, the materially poor, but He means those that look at their own assets and they see themselves as needy. That's the spiritual posture that is blessed, that leads to flourishing, that leads to human happiness and peace. And friends, that's the baseline to Christianity. And you never go beyond that. It always passes through that. Maturity always passes through the baseline of expressing and acknowledging fundamental, ongoing, existential need of Jesus. And that's what he's pressing on here, is that all of us need a shepherd. And the reality is, if we don't go to Jesus to be our shepherd, if we don't take our poverty to him, we will take it somewhere. We will take it to someone or something. We're going to find a shepherd. 
Because even if we don't admit it verbally, we recognize, we know at some level that we are vulnerable. And there's this great lure that he warns us about, and that's the lure of false shepherds. Notice the good shepherd is contrasted with, in verse 7, thieves and robbers. And we look to certain things for protection, and we find ourselves drawn into their ownership. We find ourselves co-opted, maybe eventually destroyed by giving our lives over to something that doesn't have our best interests in mind. Or verse 12, the hired hands. And these people, these things, they make promises to us, but they steal our joy. And when the relationship is no longer profitable, they leave. And at some level, we know that we are vulnerable by by the fact that we are constantly trying to find shepherds. We're constantly on the hunt for that relationship, for that job, that career, that institution, that achievement, that church, that guru, that pastor that will make you feel secure. Now, I'm not trying to make a political argument, but I think this is one of the reasons that we have more guns in civilian hands than there are civilians. There are more guns than there are people in the United States. And yet, the likelihood of you or I using a handgun successfully to defend ourselves or someone else is staggeringly small. It's almost statistically negligible. It's like wearing a helmet around all day just in case you fall down a set of concrete stairs. It might happen, but probably not. And not many of you here have a helmet on this morning. So I I think that in some level, some part of your life, you operate by statistics. It's not likely to happen. But you'd be safer if you wore a helmet all day. You'd be safer if you wore a, a flag jacket all day. But you don't because that's not engaging your psychological insecurity. Now, in Portland, we don't have a lot of sympathy, right, for gun owners. We think that they make the world more dangerous rather than less. And maybe that's your perspective, but don't all of us have these coping strategies? Don't all of us have that little uh, security blanket that Linus drags around behind him that he can't get rid of? Not all of our coping strategies are that transparent and that visible. Not all of our defense mechanisms come in a holster. Some of the things that we look for for security are framed behind us on our wall at work. Some of the things we look for in security are in our W-2. And it's sort of exactly the same mentality. It's just triggered by different environmental triggers. We're scared about different things. And frankly, there is a lot of danger out there because there are a lot of voices that are telling me. That's right, Michelle. No break. I'll get one in a moment when I wrap up here. There are a lot of voices telling us to be afraid so that they, you see, can offer us security. That's why we always have to be discerning about the messages that are coming towards us because they always come with an agenda. There are lots of people that want to be our rescuers, our saviors. 
And what Jesus calls these people are false shepherds and hired hands. But it would be very easy to sort of remove them and identify them out here. And the uncomfortable truth is that oftentimes we are the false shepherds to ourselves. We are the hired hands. We play that role in our own lives. We make, don't we, false promises to ourselves that we got this. If I can get there, I can conquer life. If I can have this, I can be safe. And so we're assuming that we have both the ability to identify the right things and then to grasp them. And we become our own saviors, and we're constantly on high alert. And we go through life knowing we're at the mercy of our own limitations. Well, Jesus offers himself here as an alternative voice, as an alternative shepherd. And he says that if he is our shepherd, we will hear, we will hear his voice. And what that means is that we will find at some level our hearts responding to his offer, that we will see in him an offer that makes sense to some degree, even if it's difficult to hold on to. It doesn't mean that any of us perfectly listen all the time, that we can crowd out all of the other voices all the time, that we're never seduced by them. Just as a child might hear their parent's voice and say, nah, I'm fine over here. I don't want to come over there. We do that no matter at what stage we might be in the Christian journey. But what Jesus is saying is that his children resonate with his voice. There's something that clicks. There's some way that his voice kind of fits into the puzzle of our heart. And you say, yes, I admit this about myself. I want this from God. I need this. I want to listen. And it often starts right there, just saying, I'm not ready to listen yet. I'm not even sure what that would look like, but I want to listen. And maybe that's where you are this morning, and that's perfectly fine. Beginning to acknowledge our spiritual deficit is the beginning of spiritual prosperity and growth. And over time, doing that over and over, you begin to recognize Jesus' voice, his whisper a little bit more. And the hired hands and the false shepherds don't seem quite so enticing. The sheep listen to his voice, verse 3. And verse 4, when he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Not just his commands, not just what the church says you should do, but they follow him because they know his voice. And you see, friends, this isn't some abstract spirituality. This is relational. There's a relationality to Jesus' words. The hired hand protects the sheep so long as he's compensated. Jesus cares for the sheep because they are his. They belong to him relationally. Now, maybe you've noticed in these higher-end uh, lease vehicles and the ads that they are now beginning, this began a couple of years ago, but they're now beginning to offer free maintenance for the life of the lease. 
And this isn't because the companies think that you are a wonderful person and that you deserve this. The reason that they were doing this is because people were leasing these BMWs and Mercedes and Audis, and they were keeping them for three to four years and changing the oil one time or maybe two times because a renter is different from an owner. And they would turn these cars in at 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 miles, having had one oil change. And the reason is that the new leaser, is that how you say it, leasey, would hop in this BMW 5 and drive it for 6,000 miles, and they'd take it to the um, oil change place, and they would say, well, you need not only this $80 oil change, but the service says you need this and that, and there would be $200, $250 on the first oil change. And that would be the last time they would take it in. And so they would take their BMW back and turn it in, and BMW would try to sell it, and the engine would fall apart because it hadn't been taken care of. But you see, Elise says, if the engine freezes up, it's not my problem. Let Mercedes fix it. And there are hundreds of videos that are all around the web entitled, The Last Day of Lease. (laughs) What do you think these people are doing with these cars? Ramping speed bumps, doing donuts in the parking lot, pulling the brake at 70 miles an hour, all the things that uh, high school boys did with their parents' car when they first started driving. I couldn't find any of these videos on YouTube anymore, so apparently some 20-something got sued by BMW, but they used to be there. Because why care? I want to see what this car can do. Does this parking brake work at 70 miles an hour? Well, now back to Jesus. Kind of went on a little bit too long there, but what Jesus says is not simply that he is responsible for you, but he says you belong to me. You may be a sheep, but you're my sheep. And he knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me, and he says that he will never discard us, even for being unruly, which is, by the way, the nature of sheep and the nature of humanity, because you are his beloved. You are rescued. You are his treasured possession. And then there's one last thing, and I promise this is two minutes. You may have noticed he said one other thing. He said that the shepherd goes through the gate rather than over the wall. But then in verse 7, he says he is the gate. So which is it? Is Jesus confused? Well, the original audience would have gotten this immediately because most ancient sheep pens did not have gates. They had walls, but the gate was open. And the reason being is the shepherd who stayed out at night with the sheep would lay down in that gap, and he effectively became the gate. The gate is the one who lays himself down to keep what is good on the inside and keep what is dangerous outside. And so, friends, if something is going to harm you, it has to go through Jesus first. And conversely, you go through him to get to safety. Everything has to go through him to get to you. And we see this gate metaphor picked up in the imagery also of the cross and that it's both a protective fence and it's also the entryway. The cross speaks this very same message that we are in utter need 
And we just need to despair of our own merit, our own devices, our own ingenuity, and say, Jesus, please rescue me, save me. And we see not just willing, willingness to lay down his life. He, does, he doesn't just speak it abstractly, but he does. He lays down his life for his friends. He's a shepherd, in other words, who lets the wolves slaughter him rather than you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that this would resonate with us. Wherever we're coming from and whatever our holdups might be, whatever our objections are, I pray that this would enter into our hearing at some level and that we would begin to think about it. Maybe we're not ready to call ourselves followers of Jesus but that maybe this week we think a little bit more about all those things that we have followed, all of those things that we have given ourselves over who would leave us at the drop of a hat or have left us. And I pray that we would consider you the shepherd who is slaughtered on behalf of the sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.